This is HBR News number 225. Trump's pro- Trump brings us closer to The Handmaid's Tale, and Kavanaugh is back in the news, where we reflect on the stories of the week and give it the badger treatment. Aquave, y'all, and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. I am your host, Brian, and I am joined by, as always, my esteemed co-panelists, Hannah and the two mics. We have a great show lined up for you guys today. So please be sure to continue the conversations both in the chat as well as the comment section. I, you know, I, I just want to say before we get into the rest of my spiel here, um, I don't like that I say we have a great show because the news is almost always bad. <laughs> so don't take it that way, anyone who wants to take me out of context. It's not good that bad things happen that we have to report on, but it is good that we get to tell you guys about what's happening because the truth is ultimately good whether you like it or not. Put it that way. All right, anyway, <clears throat> on this week's HBR News Show, We're going to be talking about the honks of the week, which include celebrating the one-year anniversary of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's rape accusations from last year and the calls for impeachment that came shortly after by making new allegations and calling for impeachment now with new out-of-nowhere allegations. Also, Trump is uh, setting women's rights back 50 years, apparently, um, and more. So stick around. It's going to be a good time. And also be sure to join us afterwards for the patron-only after show. So last week, and I'm really sorry I did this, but last week um, we had an after show that featured a, 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 a written piece by professional feminist and unsubtle nostril spelunker Lori Penny, um, where she wrote about those terrible, terrible, not good, very bad men and their toxic hobbies in gaming and how they're basically using it to attack women or something like that. And it was just the worst. But now it's come across my table that Julie Let's Put Men in Camps Bindle also decided to offer up uh, her feminist lens and, and tell us about how rape is being decriminalized in the UK and that women should be afraid. Very, very afraid. By the way, if you don't know who Julie Bindle is, uh, she is a writer for The Guardian that has written other very recent, so not like the old stuff, because I know that we've looked at some stuff that she's written in the past. This is recent pieces for The Guardian with such lovely titles as Juries Have No Place in Rape Trials Because They Can't Be Trusted. (laughs) Prostitution is not a job. The woman's body is not a workplace. And why Andrea Dworkin is the radical visionary feminist we need in our terrible lives. So I'm sure that this one will also be as uh, a white phosphorus take on this, whatever this is that's going on with the UK and uh, how they're supposedly decriminalizing rape because apparently it's illegal, but no one is enforcing it. Kind of like circumcision in the UK. Anybody, anyway. Guys, if you want to participate in our after shows to see what this cancer is all about, either as an audience member or a participant, please consider becoming a Badger yourself by going to feedthebadger.com and starting a monthly subscription. And if you don't want to wake up one morning to find yourself unable to find our content because YouTube finally dropped the axe on our channels, please go to badgerfeed.com. That's badgerfeed.com. So... Uh, Let us get right into the stories. Before we get started, there's one I want to bring your attention to, which you guys can see right there. You guys remember last week, we talked about a man named Jonathan Vanderhagen, whose son was given away to his wife 
and uh, his wife got full custody of his child. And shortly after that, his son died. Died under the custody and under the protection of his wife. And he had criticized the judge and the courts. And for his trouble, he was arrested because he criticized the courts that essentially put his son in a position to die. Well, there is a GoFundMe for Jonathan Vanderhagen. It's currently at only $270. They're looking to essentially fund his legal fees so that he can fight back against the court. So I'll read you a little bit about this. It's kind of like this is a bit long-winded, so I'll just tell you in brief, okay? Jonathan Vanderhagen is a father, one who did nothing more than criticize a judge. And now he's imprisoned facing a trial presided over by a judge who was complicit in violation of violating the rights that he has guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States of America. Following the death of Mr. Jonathan Vanderhagen's son, Killian Vanderhagen, who was two years old at the time, Mr. Vanderhagen began to criticize the court, which issued the ruling refusing to grant him physical custody of his son. Mr. Vanderhagen believes the court responsible, at least in part, for his son's death. Whether Mr. Vanderhagen is correct in his assertion or not, it is despicable that he is being jailed over criticisms of the 16th Circuit, and more narrowly, Judge Rachel Rancilio. The details as reported are as follows, quote, Following the death of Killian Vanderhagen, his father, Jonathan Vanderhagen, was incensed that the child was placed in the custody of his ex-wife, who he felt was unfit, and when his child died, he began posting his criticisms of the system and Judge Rancilio, who he felt was responsible for his child's death, and promised, quote, I'm going to dig up all the skeletons in this court's closet, end quote. An investigation did not indicate that the mother caused this death. The judge claimed to feel threatened and referred the matter to police, who found no threat, but for some reason he was charged with malicious use of telecommunication, telecommunication services and released on a $2,000 bond. When he continued his criticisms, his bond was revoked, and now he is sitting in jail on a half a million dollar bond. Below is a link to the Michigan Code covering the alleged crime that Mr. Vanderhagen has been in prison for, which includes a link. So, anyway, um, so yes, there was there was an injustice done here. If you guys are a little uncertain about this GoFundMe, maybe find another way to support the guy. But this is definitely an issue that I want to bring to your attention, at least. So if you want to uh, help Mr. Vanderhagen out, please consider going to this GoFundMe. And I will include the link to it in the low bar. And it's there right now. So if you don't see it, just refresh the page and you'll see it. All right. Um... Does anyone have any comments on this? I just wanted to give this a brief mention, but if anyone wants to add anything to this before we move on to the actual news stories, I will, I will see the floor. Nobody, okay. All right, so yeah, just do that if you have to. So we're gonna go ahead and get into the stories now. Um, these should be good though. All right. So Trump is supposed to be destroying women's rights. Headline from The Independent, which of course is you know good stuff. Trump administration rolling back women's rights by 50 years by changing the definitions of domestic violence and sexual assault. Subheader. I was massively surprised and really shocked. It's quite scary how quietly it happened. It's a massive step backwards. We have literally gone back to the 70s, 
says person yelling from ivory tower it just says academic we don't get any names we don't get any citations but this is on the independent so the independent also reports that this colossal rolling back of women's rights has also gone mostly unnoticed quote from the independent article the Trump administration quietly changed the definition of both domestic violence and sexual assault back in April, but the move has only just surfaced. The Trump's the Trump Justice Department's definition only considers physical harm that constitutes a felony or misdemeanor to be domestic violence, meaning other forms of domestic violence such as psychological abuse, coercive control, and manipulation no longer fall under the department's definition. Quote, in other words, the, domestic, the, the, the definition of domestic violence has been changed to only include violence. But on to the outrage. Let us continue. Holly Taylor Dunn, the unnamed academic in the subheader, leads a master's degree in understanding domestic and sexual violence at the University of Worcester in the UK. She argues survivors of sexual violence and domestic violence are, quote, already treated badly by the criminal justice system due to deeply ingrained sexist stereotypes of women and the White House's decision would only feed existing stereotypes. End quote. Imagine living in a world this backwards. And Natalie Nanasi, director of the Judge Elmo B. Hunter Legal Center for Victims of Crimes Against Women, wrote in a piece for Slate, another uh, great pillar of, of journalism, quote, what is clear is that these seemingly semantic changes, even if not yet embodied in official law or policy, are part of a broader trend towards the devaluation of women by this administration and this president, end quote. As a side note, just so we were clear about this, uh, you may remember from other stories that we've discussed, like this one where a wife was charged after nagging her husband to clean the house that there are laws in the UK against, quote, controlling or coercive behavior in an intimate or family relationship, end quote. The charge is punishable with a maximum prison sentence of five years under the 2015 Serious Crime Act. In the US, the laws vary state by state, but New York has introduced a coercive control bill. Worryingly, the New York State Office for the Prevention of Domestic Violence uses a men-oppressor-women-oppressed model, DER, also probably going along with the Duluth model of um, control and power. Even Stark has been encouraging the use of coercive control to describe a course of oppressive behavior grounded in gender-based privilege. While all forms of abuse are about power and control, Coercive control is a strategic form of ongoing oppression and terrorism that invades all arenas of women's activity by limiting access to money and other basic resources. So. So feminists think women are stupid. I mean, that's the only explanation you can really have for a, a group telling the world that women can be limited in our access to finances when we're capable of going out, getting a job, earning our own money, starting a bank account, the bank cannot allow our husbands into our bank account. My husband can't get into my bank account unless I tell the bank he can get into my bank account. 
I can't get into his bank account unless he tells the bank I can get into his bank account either. It's illegal, right? So the idea that women can have their finances uh, limited in, in 2019 by a man without having him actually lock her up in the house against her will, which would be a crime under existing laws. That actually is violence. Um, it's, it's just bullshit. You know, he can't even take her paycheck because he can't cash it. You can't sign somebody else's paycheck. You'd have to have power of attorney from that person. There is no uh, pathway for a man to financially limit a woman... Like, he can't stop her from getting a job. He can't stop her from taking a paycheck home. He can't stop her from cashing her paycheck. He can't tell her where she, she can put it, where she has to put it. Well, he can tell her. She just doesn't have to listen, right? There is no pathway unless he engages in a violent crime against her in order to, to prevent her from exercising her existing legal rights or she gives him permission. If I sign power of attorney over to my husband, then he could get into my accounts. If I give him, which I have, given him the password to my accounts, just in case, because you never know, lightning strikes. I mean, I was almost in a plane crash on the way to Canada once. Um, and it would be a bad thing if he was stuck without access to anything, right? So, you know, that's permission. You have to be able to uh, trust somebody to do that, right? But here we have, in the, in the 21st century... After the, all of their achievements, after all of their uh, manipulation of the law to protect spouses from each other, as if, you know, we're enemies or something, now they're claiming this co coercive control crap. All this is, is a demand that the wife be given access to the husband's finances if she chooses not to earn her own, or if she doesn't earn enough on her own to suit her spending habits. That's it. Yep. One other thing, too. The, 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 the narrative they're trying to spin is that Trump administration, uh, the Trump administration's decision to define domestic violence as basically just being physical violence and not emotional or coercive control, etc., well, that would be correct. Violence is only violence. There, that doesn't... Like, they can't differentiate between the definition of violence and the definition of abuse, which includes violence and other things. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. But uh, what I was going to say is, I don't even know that it would make much of a difference considering that in that would be on the federal level. And I don't know that that would even make have much of an impact on the state level, considering that most states, if not all of them, still use the Duluth model in these sorts of uh, domestic abuse situations. So even if you like change the definition uh, on the on the at the state level, like when an incident actually occurs, you know, um, in a, within a, a couple of you know private citizens, like a couple, uh, they're not going to probably look at that definition to apply, you know, the law when it comes to actually impacting people, because I don't think it matters much. Like, the, I think that at, at the state level, it'll probably still be treated the same, especially if they're using the Duluth model and the people that they consult are approaching it with a, you know, uh, a feminist perspective and everything, then you're not going to change anything. At least I don't think so. Maybe I'm just, a, you know, uh, maybe I don't see the full picture. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, that makes sense. And then, and also just to remind everybody, um, the Duluth model, uh, that, that actually, one of the creators of the Duluth model discredited it by admitting that it was ideological. Um, the, uh, the book that it, this was, this was in, let's see, the title, Coordinating Community Responses to Domestic Violence, Lessons from Duluth, um, it's not showing the whole thing here, uh, and I have it open in a Google book reader that allows me to read some of the pages of the book. On page 29, under the heading, Some Thoughts on Philosophy, uh, she wrote, The difference is not uh, semantic, it's ideological. Somewhere we shifted from understanding the violent, that, that violence is rooted in a sense of entitlements to rooted in a desire for power by determining that n- the need for desire or desire for power was a motivating force behind battering. We created a conceptual framework that in fact did not fit the lived experience of many of the men and women we were working with. Like those we were criticizing, we reduced our analysis to a psychological universal truism. The DIAP staff, just like the therapist insisting it was anger, an anger control problem or the judge wanting to see it as an alcohol problem or the defense attorney arguing that it was a defective wife problem, remained undaunted by the difference in our theory and the actual experiences of those we were working with. We all engaged in ideological practices and claimed them to be neutral observations. And, and she went on to describe imposing their observations on the people they were working with and calling it therapy. So in other words, they told women that they had been coerced and controlled and they told men in their abuser programs, you are coercively controlling the women in your lives out of a desire for power over them and and tried to force them to accept that. That's how the Duluth model was created. So when when you start hearing about how valid the Duluth model is, you can point out, no, Ellen Pence actually came out and admitted that the entire thing was a lie. It was nothing but, but ideology imposed on the, uh, the people they were working with in Duluth. And then they expanded it to the entire rest of the country. So they've done a lot of damage. So, yeah, basically what, I, what I'm saying is, is that uh, this is all, I think that in a lot of ways, this is much ado about nothing, but because people are talking about it and this will come up and you'll see it and you'll probably hear about it from people in your circles, be sure to remind them, don't panic. You know, calling violence violence is not set rolling women's rights back 50 years. And another no. thing is, is that it's not really going to make much of a difference because the people who decide who is the victim and who is the, the aggressor in a domestic violence situation are people that are more likely to side with women anyway. So it doesn't well, change anything. Here. They're not asking for a right to uh, define things as abuse that are not violent. They're asking for a right to impose a label that society has to use based on their sensibilities. Like, it's a personal right. If I, if I want to call a tail a leg, right, that I, I have every right to say that. I have the freedom of speech to say that. My neighbors can laugh at me for it. It doesn't mean a dog has five legs, or, and, and it doesn't mean the other legs aren't legs and a dog now only has one leg. It, I'm just calling a tail a leg. 
but I do not have, it is not a human right, if I strongly believe that a tail is a leg, I don't have the right to make the state legislate that the label for tail, tail is now leg. I don't have that right. And feminists do not have the right in women's name to, to force the state to label emotional abuse violence. And it's an, it's an attack on language. It's an attack on the ability of the, the society in which we live, the, the general public, the uh, law enforcement, the courts, everything, to, to determine how to react to these, these issues. Uh, violence needs a more immediate response because there is a threat of injury or death. And emotional abuse still needs a response, but it is not as an immediate of an emergency. Just like emotional trauma in a car accident doesn't necessarily constitute as immediate an emergency unless the person is fleeing the accident and about to run into traffic, you know, as, as somebody who has a head injury. Like they're bleeding from the scalp. They need attention right now. You know, their 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 uh, hearts broken. They need attention, but they they can wait until after the person with the bleeding scalp is dealt with. And I think that's what feminists don't want. They don't want us to be able to differentiate between the person who is dealing with a, a pattern of behavior that has emotionally crippled them, and specifically the woman. Because they don't care if men are emotionally abused by their wives, which, by the way, happens quite a bit more. They only care if they can say women are emotionally abused by their husband, whether they are or not. And it does happen. But uh, I, feminists do exaggerate the uh, the amount of, of occurrence there. And, uh, and that's so, the, yeah. I think that's the point. Like, if you can, if you can make uh, domestic violence include force of control and, uh, you know, emotional abuse or whatever, while at the same time acting as though none of those things happen to men because men don't tend to complain as much, you don't take their complaints seriously, you know, and so on, then what you can use is essentially creates the narrative that look at all of this abuse because you conflate it. It's like how they conflate, you know, a man making a comment about a woman's uh, you know, outfit being revealing with a man who actually gropes someone without permission. And you yep. just conflate those things and now you have way more incidents of sexual assault because you've just expanded the, de the definition to suit your narrative. And I think that's all this is. It's basically they're saying, well, we don't like what they're doing because they're trying to clarify definitions and we want to have control over what these words mean. And we're losing that control. Yeah, they are losing that control. It's, it's an effort at coercive control. Uh, here's another thing to consider. Feminists go on and on about emotional abuse, which is a thing. It does happen. Uh, they want to include things that are not emotional abuse when a man does them to a woman, like a husband not handing his paycheck over to his wife every week is is one of the things that they want to call emotional abuse. Um She's allowed to limit his access to the finances. He's just not allowed to limit hers, right? But they don't consider it emotional abuse when an ex-wife who has primary custody of the children 
ignores the visitation schedule and tells her ex-husband, you can't see the kids this week because we're busy. You can't see the kids this week because you were five minutes late. You can't see the kids this week because I'm mad at you. You know, or doesn't even give him a reason. That's coercive control. And it's an abuse of the children and the ex-husband. But you never hear word one from feminists criticizing that. In fact, if you criticize it, they will call you a misogynist. So they really don't care about emotional abuse. When they talk about coercive control, they are projecting. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, let's take a look at some super chats. Let us know what you guys think about this story in the comment section. Uh, Master Rogue gives us $2 and says, Hannah can cut a hot knife with butter. Winky face heart. You have a fan, Hannah. Uh, French Honey Badger gives us $5 and says, ironically, this protects women more because domestic violence perpetuated by women is more psychological than physical. That's true. Um, but of course, they're not going to acknowledge that. So it, it absolutely wouldn't matter either way. Uh, Polaris589 gives us $5 and says, note to self, never being on the same plane with Hannah, dot, dot, dot. All right, thank you so much for the Super Chats. And now we're So gonna... far, it's only happened once. <laughs> and now we're gonna move on to uh, Brett Kavanaugh. What year is it? <laughs> so, so Mike J, if you could, to tell us a little bit about what's going on with Brett Kavanaugh. You know, that is a good point, Brian. Uh, I did see a, a thread on, I believe it was Kotaku in action a few 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 weeks ago that was talking about have we entered some kind of time loop everyone's talking about zo quinn again uh milo yiannopoulos is in the news hashtag gamergate is on twitter and like trending time loop man and and, and here we are talking about brett kavanaugh again harambe is going to be back among the living any day now actually um what's his you name gamergate gamergate trended and they didn't stop it I don't know if it did or not. I don't do the twatter, so I'm I'm just going that's, off what I heard. That's quite that's fascinating because usually they've been they've been interfering in uh, hashtags that are um, anti like social justice. They've been oh, they interfering in those for the last couple of years. Everything ever since Gamergate. Like, actually, yeah, the, when uh, when when um, Epstein died, they had the uh, the organically hashtag Clinton body count was trending. And then they tried they to counter. They, they 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 well they tried to counter with hashtag Trump body count, like that was its own organic thing, and that got maybe like not even a fourth of the traction. And when they were realizing they couldn't compete, they just completely squashed the Clinton body count one. So the only one you could see was Trump body count. Anyway, that's all not surprising. Well, anyway, so dicks out. But go ahead, uh, Mr. J. I mean, it is. Only three days till that Area 51 raid. We might find some crazy shit in there, like Harambe. Just saying. But yeah, um, enough shenanigans. Uh, so, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh has, again, been accused of sexual harassment. As part of their upcoming book, The Education of Brett Kavanaugh, an Investigation, writers and New York Times reporters Robin Pogerbin and Kate Kelly recount recount the story of Deborah Ramirez. Ramirez claims that during a party where both her and Kavanaugh were drinking, he thrust his penis at her. 
Bogerbin and Kelly claim they have at least seven individuals willing to back up the story, but uh, nearly all of them either heard of the story through second-hand accounts or were only vaguely aware of the alleged incidents. And this kind of sparked another accusation. Uh, this accusation comes from a former classmate of Kavanaugh's, Max Steer, who alleges that at a different party he saw Kavanaugh with his pants down, Kavanaugh's friends then proceeded to push Kavanaugh's penis into the hand of a female student, as you do. The female student involved in the alleged incident has declined to be interviewed, and those close to her claim she does not recall the incident in question. Wait, wait, wait. H how do you thrust your penis into someone's hand? <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I what mean, are the lo what are the logistics of that? Like, is he running? Is it just kind of like a hip thrust? That well, well, it's, it's saying, like it's, it's, it's like six feet long and made of steel. Yeah, it, yeah, it's 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 saying his friends, I guess, facilitated this. Were they doing the time warp and like it just sort of kind of like popped out? Like, man, Kavanaugh must be girthy. Must be girthy. Well, you could do a sort of pull my finger joke and then do a very quick switcheroo. <laughs> <laughs> this is th th this is so dumb. Like it, it, the the obvious thing here is that this is a group of people that are using repeated, unfounded, and unverified, unverifiable, and often unfalsifiable rumors about a man's sexual history to try to destroy his career. If he was a woman, and it, it, this was in an office instead of the public arena, that would be labeled sexual harassment, and there would be lawyers just just salivating for a chance to represent her in a lawsuit against her employer. But since his employer is we the people of the United States, and the people who are engaging in this ridiculous behavior... And this has gotten to the point where it's it's like you can't even call this grasping at straws. Like this is so dumb, you can't even call it that. It, it's pretending that there might be straws somewhere in the vicinity, and then reaching out and then claiming to have gotten your hands on one. You know, uh, like and then demanding that other people respond as if that was actually. Uh, a, a handhold on a cliff and you have just climbed back up over the top of the argument and you're right now. I mean, that's how dumb this is. It's grasping at straw, man. It is. It's, it's, it's insane. And he has no recourse. He can't sue anybody because of his, his political position. I don't think he's allowed. Um, I don't know. It might be that he is. I, I don't know. It might just only uh, apply to people who are elected officials. Um, but he might not be allowed to actually file a defamation lawsuit against the people who are lying about him. He might not have any defense at all other than the fact that, you know, ordinary people, people like us, look at this and say, this is the dumbest accusation I have ever seen outside of uh, uh, an institution for people who are unable to determine what's real and what's not. Like, the next thing you know, they're going to be claiming that aliens from outer space presented them with an image of Brett Kavanaugh's penis, and he is responsible. I mean, that, that's... It can't get 
much dumber without going into the realm of insane paranoid fantasies that incorporate magical thinking and details that are that are impossible uh and and the idea that they're going after this guy which the the other thing about this is he's conservative but he's not that conservative he has already gone against uh the constitutionalist conservative uh traditionalist outlook at least once uh and and what ended up being the bottom line with his uh confirmation is most of us that were actually interested in this area of politics and what was going to be happening in with with this nomination didn't get a full chance to evaluate whether we we thought he should be in there or not because we had to deal with the due process issue instead so essentially the people trying to keep him out maneuvered him into place and now they're using the same things that they use to maneuver him into place to try to pry him out it's not going to work they're basically legitimizing him more with every accusation they make and if they're not trying to do it on purpose they're idiots and if they are trying to do it on purpose then we should start to wonder what is it that this guy is for that they support that the rest of us should be scared of because i mean those are our two possibilities either they're just dumb as fuck and and they really think this is going to work or or you know this is what four dimensional chess and and they're actually trying to keep a less conservative guy in there than maybe would have gotten in if they had just kept their mouth shut could be a bit of both i mean it could be that they're so um like i think that that uh you're right that you know kavanaugh's not even like that he's pretty moderate in terms of his uh politics but the issue is is that these people that are trying to like get him removed that want him impeached they don't they think that moderates are still too far right for them so for one it doesn't pass a purity test as far as they are concerned and i think this is about politics and it's not about sexual assault or any of this shit it's about they want the co- the supreme court to reflect people who believe as they do and that is that means removing guys like this another thing is is that they probably believe that he has done or is capable of doing these things you know um it's like when jesse smollett uh faked his own hate crime against himself there is a part of him and a lot of people who do these these hoaxes these hate crime hoaxes on universities and in public with like that woman who supposedly you know who claimed that this man told her to go back to where she came from and it turned out he was like a cuban guy and he was also a democrat and was anti-trump and stuff but all the people who do these things they may be lying but they believe that what they're bringing attention to is something that's real but they fabricate it like they believe it's real in principle like it happens it just hasn't happened to them but they're they believe that if it did happen to them then they could like bring a lot of awareness to it so they fabricate these things because they believe that they're real and they do exist and they use it to make that statement i think that's what jesse smollett was in part motivated by i think he actually believed that this sort of stuff happens and he just had to construct it because he felt that he had the platform to get people to notice and i think that on on some level with this kavanaugh thing these people that are coming forward 
And Christine Blasey Ford is the woman from last year that originally made these accusations. Although there were other women who also made them, but they, I believe that they, um, they didn't follow through. They kind of pulled out, uh, you know, or, or rescinded or whatever. And then, well, Ramirez. Team, they disappeared. But yeah, they Ramirez just disappeared. was one of the ones yeah. from last year yeah, that they yeah. kind of didn't really go anywhere with. They didn't follow because up on. Because the accusation was really honestly ridiculous. Well, yeah, a lot of these are. But the thing that's, this is the unfortunate part about it. Um, and I guess this is why I'm a little bit like less, uh, I think there are lots of people who actually believe that, that Kavanaugh did this stuff. And the reason is because even if it turns out that all of this is bullshit, the, the press, the media, they're just going to, they're going to lie by omission. They're going to leave things out. They're going to push forward with their allegations. I mean, there are still regular folks that believe that there's collusion. There are people who still believe the grab by the pussy thing is like, you know, sexual assault. It's it's everywhere. It's very, very common. And that's the thing. Like, you don't even need to prove these stories to be true if all you have to do is continue to repeat the lie in some way or another just say there were accusations there are accusations this person's making one this person's making one. you almost don't have to follow up with it later because then people just start to come to their own conclusion and say well man the guy's been accused like 30 something times it must be happening he's probably gross and it's enough you just basically like play on people's um uh sort of like fears of predators and it's especially effective on women because women fear being preyed on and if they hear like this sort of like high school rumor shit uh that this man in a position of political power and influence that is a judge or a senator or a governor or a president of the united states is preying on women it's almost like you don't actually have to prove it you just have to keep saying it and then people will just say well it must be the case so I think that it's a bit of both. I think that there's malicious intent, obviously, but I also think there's a bit of stupidity because I think there are the, the you, you need a lot of um, people who are willing to trust what you have to say to buy your snake oil enough that you can actually like form a business on that to say, well, this stuff works. This stuff is really happening. And there are some people who will say, well, that maybe this woman didn't get you know, wasn't able to prove it, but I still think it happened. It's like the Bill Cosby thing, you know? There's still no proof that he raped anyone, but most people believe that he did. And now he's in jail, and him going to jail further proves in their mind that this was just, and he should have gone to jail. So I- We have a very, we have a serious problem regarding this in our society, and it's not the problem that a lot of people think that we have. It's, it's not the problem the feminists will tell you we have. The big problem, one of the big problems we have, and this is related to uh, the, the concept of the presumption of innocence in uh, the public venue, in principle, right? That this should, this is a legal standard, but it's also a human right, and it's a human responsibility. And, and uh, we really, as a society, we really shouldn't judge people uh, and and uh, impose consequences on people without evidence because of the, the tendency of liars to take advantage of that, right? But the really big problem that we have is this black and white view that has been pushed in general on men because men have a tendency to, to, to see women as angels. Even men who by our standards would be 
uh, awakened, even red-pilled men still have a tendency to see women as angels. All right. Women don't have a tendency to believe accusations of sexual assault against powerful men because we're scared, right? Women have a tendency, in general, to believe those allegations because it's titillating. And most women will get pissed as fuck at people who say this. But the fact is, they get their panties wet over shit like that. Right? That is why Fifty Shades of Grey was one of the most best-selling books. That is why an entire genre exists of, quote, romance novels that involve women being ravaged by powerful men and then becoming their partners. This is, this is not a simple thing. This is not a women are scared so they're going to believe this. This is <laughs> women want to believe that women are so desirable and women have so much sexual power that even the most powerful man, the guy that has fuck you money, the guy that has a political position, the guy that, uh, that is in control of, of law or policy uh, can't help himself and hasn't been able to help himself his whole life and and just has to put himself in a position of political vulnerability, legal vulnerability, social vulnerability just to get female attention. Right? Just to have some intimacy with a woman because women are that desirable and that powerful. That is what women who buy into this shit want to believe. It's not about fear. It's about power. Well, yeah. I mean, you can use fear to get power, for sure. But it's not their fear. That's just it. Men fear women getting hurt. Men fear bad things happening to the women around them. Men fear not being able to protect their loved ones. Men fear not being able to stop something bad happening. Women use that fear. But women are not walking around in terror. A lot of women claim to be walking around in terror, but it's like campfire stories. Campfire stories are titillating, right? The, the, the story about the hook horror that comes in, like, that's a D&D monster, but the guy with the hook hand that, that gets into your car when you're parked out on Lover's Lane and kills you both with his hook hand is titillating. It's not titillating just because it's scary. It's, it's titillating because it's fiction, and it's titillating because the idea of being chased and stalked is titillating. All right. uh, uh, the reality isn't. It's, it's very uh, upsetting, very inconvenient, dangerous, scary, all those things. But the idea is still titillating. And, and, and it's not about fear. It's about power. And fear can be used uh, that way. But it's not her fear she's using. It's yours. You you keep seeing you keep saying titillating, Hannah. <laughs> That's because titillating is a fun word to use, but it's also the only th- one I can think of to describe the idea of getting you know <laughs> getting getting interested in something because it in, it's not just intriguing; it's you know a little exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we get yeah. There's there's a, there's not a whole lot of synonyms for that that are are as easy to pull out of the brain, and none of them are as fun to use. Everybody likes tits. Even straight women. 
Yep. All boobs are fine. All boobs are good. Okay, so uh, Mike J, do you have uh, anybody else have any comments on this? Yes. I know that Mike yes, J wrote the thing, so I figured you had something to say. Go ahead. I did. Um, there's this really nice thing that is linked in the um, in, in the notes here on the on the on the Patreon that um, they, they break down all of the claims. Like like wow, they say seven corroborating witnesses. That, that really sounds like a quite a number in the book. Which again. Um, Quick aside, isn't it a little convenient the way this came out was through a book? This whole claim—it just seems seems like someone's trying to make a payday. Eh, I'm sure I'm sure it's nothing. Coincidence, pure coincidence. Anyway, so just just to show how, like, yeah, it sounds really impressive, seven people, but then you actually break down each of these, and you've got damn near nothing. The first is Ramirez's mother, who, uh, as far as she knows. The, the subject was the long and short of it is this is how it was discussed uh, Ramirez came home crying and her mother basically went and asked her what was going on and she said something happened at Yale and that was their only discussion about this uh, the second guy uh, Kenneth Eppold a sweet mate of Kavanaugh's at Yale uh, claims to have heard the thing described to him by an eyewitness. And when he later recounted the story, um, apparently it matched up pretty close to Ramirez's initial account, even though they they had never, ever spoken. So, okay, maybe you got one. Let's give him one. The third guy, Michael Whetstone, a Kavanaugh classmate, heard the entire thing from the first, from the second guy, Kenneth Apold. So, it's this guy hearing the story from another guy who heard the story from another guy. <laughs> okay. Uh, the fourth one, Richard O., another Kavanaugh classmate, says, oh, well, I heard, overheard a female student uh, describing making contact with a fake penis and then saying, oh no, that's not a, that's, that's not a real penis. That, that's not a fake penis. It's real. So, again, he, hearsay. The first, the the fifth source was anonymous. So so who red knows? Flag right there. <laughs> Could be anybody. Could be nobody. I'm waiting for anonymous to come out and say we were not the fifth source. <laughs> Expect us to not know what and, you're talking and, about. And even and even this uh, anonymous female's uh, recollection basically says that she heard about the incident in the 1990s. So. Uh, years, decades even, after it had happened. Uh, then number six and seven, Chad Ludington and James Roach uh, were two people from... I'll just, I'll just read this verbatim. Uh, two other people from Kavanaugh and Ramirez's Yale class uh, who vaguely remember hearing something happening to Ramirez during freshman year. That's their seven. That's the best they can do. And later on, they were all called into the dean's office where they were given double secret probation for the alcohol party that they had in in, in their uh, animal house fraternity. Well, I guess all that matters is it rings true. Um, so, yeah, this is basically uh, it is a power grab. Uh, Hannah's absolutely right. I think that. Um, the reason why they're going after Kavanaugh is because he's not the he's not the Supreme Court justice they want. They they just want to be able to clone Ruth Bader Ginsburg and just replace the entire 
support with her, but they can't. So instead, they're just getting rid of the people that they hate, which is seems like everybody else that doesn't agree with them. So, um, but yeah, unless they have successfully cloned her, in which case, you know, she'll just be on the board forever. Um, so <laughs> does anyone else have any other comments on the Kavanaugh, uh, allegations? All right. So we're going to move on to the next story. We will follow up as this unfolds, because obviously, uh, like I said, they're just trying to use this as a, a blunt object and a blunt instrument to get him removed. I don't think it's going to work out, but who knows? Who knows? All right. So this next story, I thought was really interesting. Uh, Lindsay found this one and told me about it, and I thought we should probably talk about this. So new, new study, there's some new research on uh, testosterone and empathy. And you guys might be able to use this as a resource. Uh, this could be handy, something to know, so. All right. A new study has challenged the extreme male brain theory of autism. In the US, about one in 59 children have autism spectrum disorder, and boys are four times more likely to have it compared to girls. Lower cognitive empathy is supposed to be a feature of autism, that is often correlated to masculinity more generally. However, the link between lower cognitive empathy and testosterone is being questioned. Researchers argue previous studies relied on small samples and had insufficient statistical power to establish a direct link. On their new larger study, author An Amos Nadler, PhD, says, quote, our results unequivocally show that there is not a linear causal relation between testosterone exposure and cognitive empathy, end quote. Some background before we get into their investigation. Extreme male brain theory hypothesizes that people with autism spectrum disorder favor systemizing over empathizing due to an exposure of higher than normal testosterone before birth. A 2011 study backed this idea by showing giving healthy adult females testosterone reduced their ability to read other people's emotions. Past research also often relied on a proxy measurement of per birth testosterone through finger length or the 2D to 4D ratio. That is the ratio of the length of your second finger, that's your index, to that of the fourth finger, which is your ring finger. Some scientists believe that this ratio reduces with greater exposure to testosterone. I bet a lot of people are looking at their fingers right now to find out if their testosterone is high or not. Um, however, using the 2D to 4D ratio has yielded conflicting results, so it's not like 100% reliable. The new research conducted two randomized controlled trials with a sample of, 643, of 643 healthy adult males in total. Some received testosterone and others a placebo in gel form. Participants filled in questionnaires, underwent tests of cognitive empathy, and their 2D-4D ratios were recorded. The cognitive empathy test involved looking at photographs and matching them to descriptions of emotional states. All right. From Medical News Today, I'm sorry if this is a little bit dense, but, quote, 
The researchers observed that although these males who received testosterone showed raised levels of the hormone, it actually had no effect on their cognitive empathy. Also, there was no correlation between performance on cognitive empathy tests and 2D to 4D ratios. We found that there is no evidence to support this effect of testosterone, but that doesn't rule out any possible effects. Gideon Nave, PhD, concludes. He does not point out, however, that absence of evidence is not the same as evidence of absence. Quote, from what we know, though, it seems that if testosterone does have an influence, the effect is complex, not linear, end quote. So, uh, basically, this is sort of challenges the sort of mainstream beliefs about the correlations between higher levels of testosterone and autism plus lower levels of empathy. So does anyone have any thoughts on this story? You know, I think part of the problem with understanding this uh, for for both inside and outside of the scientific community is the failure to recognize the differences between how men act on their uh, their experience of empathy versus how women act on theirs. Because you have you have a very dramatic difference between you get two people that walk up to an individual or uh, that that has a problem, uh, and one of them's male, the other's female. The woman's first tendency is to want to offer verbal comfort and uh, sympathy, and and we often mistake empathy, sympathy, and compassion for having all the same meaning and they're very different words with very different meanings sympathy is is having concern over how someone feels empathy is understanding someone's experience and compassion is caring about the experience you know and those are simplistic definitions like the, if you look them up in the dictionary it's going to be a lot longer and and more specific but that's that's your your basic problem with understanding this men are more likely to walk up see the problem and start looking for a solution so the person isn't going through that experience anymore you know and at the same time they're also going to try to be aware of the surroundings they're going to be aware of any potential threat to themselves if they are with a woman they're going to be looking to protect her uh, before they're worried about the stranger because it's their job psychologically um, that's it's ingrained in in most guys if they're with they're they're with a family member female family member a female friend a woman who's been sort of incorporated into their their sphere of close people uh, that's somebody to protect so they're they're gonna have a more complex reaction and the outward manifestation of that is not going to look like it looks when a woman does it. And, uh, you know, unless she walks up with her child. And she'll respond with her child the same way a man will respond with a, a woman or a child. And uh, that that throws a monkey wrench, really, into measuring empathy between men and women. I think there's quite a bit of... Um, there's quite a bit of masculine empathy that gets overlooked because the guy isn't looking at the the person in the situation and articulating verbally an understanding of their situation. Yeah, the way that it's expressed when men do it is different from the way women do it, but the only way that we tend to measure it is by how women do it. Women talk about things first. Men do things. 
Men evaluate and take action. They ask questions if they need to. Yes. And a lot of times when men act um, in, in an effort to, let's say, uh, put someone at ease, make up for some mistake, whatever, uh, a lot of times that actually gets overlooked. Um, so, for example, a guy gets into a fight with his wife. And he doesn't mean to, but she's just, like, in a mood, right? And so he tries to make it up by, let's say, he's like, well, you know what I'll do? Instead of, like, going too crazy, I'll do the dishes, take out the trash, and I'll cook breakfast in the morning. And he might do those things in, like, in a way of, like, not necessarily to make up, but, like, to say, you know, I still care about you and I'm going to do these things. But she might not notice those things as something that cut, that came out of that you know dis- disagreement uh argument whatever and instead just takes it for granted or ignores it and because he's not talking about it he's just doing something but that is the way that men tend to do things you know but um yeah like the i i what one thing i also want to say about this is that uh Aiden Paladin made a, she did a great talk at the International Conference on Men's Issues. We'll, we'll be putting it up soon. We're currently doing a lot of the post-editing. Uh, Dr. Randall McCam is one of the people involved with that. And she did a talk about the, the effects of the birth control pill. Um, and not just on women's moods or their selection preferences, which we've already talked about on the show, but I believe it also affects, in the long run, the children. And so there, I believe that there is a relationship between the birth control pill and the incidences of autism, but also that on top of um, the incidence of autism perhaps sort of coming out as a, um, let's say, a result of seeing regular healthy masculine behavior as somehow uh dysfunctional and trying to uh you know pathologizing it and trying to cure it and i think that there is like there's it's like it's a complex system that we're trying to like unpack this is uh one of the best things about this study is the guy says at the end you know this isn't a linear thing like this is complex there's lots involved here right it seems that testosterone does not have does have an influence but the effect is complex but yeah there's multiple layers on it but first you have to ask yourself okay do we consider testosterone to be a good thing today in our public discourse around testosterone i would argue no i think that um people in positions of uh, authority uh power and influence tend to see testosterone as a problem and they attack it and I think that when boys don't express their emotions in the way that these people believe they should, they might be pretty quick to say that they have autism or Asperger's or they need, and they need to be on Ritalin. Remember that episode of South Park where they put all the kids on Ritalin? Um, I think that there is that, but I also believe that there, there is such a thing as real autism. I mean, my friend Max Derrett uh, has it. And uh, if you guys don't watch his channel, you should. Um, he, he needs to get more views over there. But remember Max Derrett, he used to be on the show all the time. Uh, he has autism, so I'm not gonna say that what he has isn't real. I just think that there are um, there's a lot to this discussion. And I think part of it is that 
birth control contributes to that women's uh sexual selection contributes to that our um our desire to pathologize testosterone and masculinity contributes to that and our desire to, to uh medicate boys also contributes to that and i think that we are looking at something that way too many people are looking at in a far too simple uh a way to actually like figure out a solution and i think in a way that's the point so i think a lot of times like we have this situation where there's a perfect storm there right you have the drug companies who make their money selling their drugs they are essentially drug dealers they're they're not they're not doing this because they care deeply about the individual people who buy their drugs and use them you know they're not doing it because they want to help people they're doing it because they want to make a profit that's why there's this uh this situation of massive widespread overuse of opiate painkillers across the country and then you have the insurance companies same thing they're not there because they love people and they want to help everybody get medical care they are there because they can make their money taking your premiums investing them in the stock market and and spinning out as little as possible for your care in the process so that they they actually make money instead of losing money or just breaking even and the uh the the combination of the drug companies and the insurance companies has uh, their their two different brands of uh mercenary capitalism which capitalism isn't bad it's just you can't look at a capitalist organization and say this is a charity this is a altruistic organization it's there to help me no it's there to make money right so the combination of their two patterns of behavior uh ends with what's the cheapest way to handle this situation that that this individual doctor has has diagnosed uh and that's with any kind of potential uh mental disorder or handicap or learning disability or anything like that you might have a spectrum of behavioral therapies cognitive therapies uh changes in in lifestyle or education style or patterns of activity that would help the person um essentially therapeutic changes or drugs well the cheapest thing is usually a drug and the drug companies are going to profit off of that drug the insurance companies are going to profit off of your premiums without paying for the things that might help you more because they can say well but we'll pay for this drug but we won't cover these other therapies because they're more expensive and the drug is cheaper and your doctor is under pressure to not prescribe those things that might be more helpful because hey there's a there's a drug for this and that has happened with painkillers and it happened with uh psychological disorders of all types whether it's a learning disability whether it's trauma whether it's a chemical imbalance anything no you can't have a uh, therapeutic medical treatment uh, because this drug just throw this pill at it yeah, that's cheaper and quicker and uh nobody's going to pay the doctor to uh to 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 prescribe you therapy in you know 
unless the doctor uh, is able to to fill out all of the uh, massive amounts of paperwork to justify it. Uh, and I, you know, I saw this with family members, where uh, I've had family members that have had chronic pain that is caused by conditions for which there are therapeutic treatments that can slow down the progression of uh, the the disorder, the de- the the physical degeneration of the body, or there was there were painkillers that that could just treat the pain so they could continue working while their body de- degenerated and uh, the damage built up, and now uh, family members that that happened to are are elderly and we're in an opiate crisis and the insurance companies are saying, no, we're not going to pay for any treatment. Pain is not a, a medical disorder. You don't deserve to have any relief from it. And it's worse than it was when they were younger. So this is insane, right? And the same thing is happening. They're suddenly starting to realize that you cannot put two thirds of the boys in a classroom on Ritalin and get good results. So they have a, a couple of generations of students that are addicted to Ritalin or Adderall or, or any number of other drugs that maybe 10% of them or none of them have received the behavioral therapy they need. Many of them were deemed uh, uh, attention deficit disordered or autistic or some other learning disability. disability. They were just normal kids. Uh, but their their masculinity or their rambunctiousness or their tendency to engage in a, a higher degree of discovery learning uh, or or simply the fact that they weren't mature enough to sit still at the age of five and should have waited until they were six years old to start kindergarten instead, none of that was considered or all of it was considered pathological rather than just simply circumstances that could be handled. And... Uh, so now we have this, this uh, like two generations of kids on uh, that have grown up on drugs, that their first solution to everything is a drug, that they're treated as if their uh, experience, their their understanding of their experience, their responses to their experiences is all wrong because it's not being done the way women think it should be done, and and no help has been given to any of them. Um, it's it's really. It's really a mess, and it's really a function of people handing over responsible responsibility for their welfare and their children's welfare to big companies that are there to make a profit out of some expectation that they're going to be altruistic simply because the way they make a profit involves something that, that can help people. Yeah. So the, the takeaway... From this aside from the stuff that Hannah and I were talking about which is I think that you guys know about this but um, the idea that autism is tied to testosterone is spurious at best so again science is still out on that we don't really know what the truth is but we've had higher testosterone levels in the past but a lot less autism so but we'll just put it that way. I know it's not as simple. It's not a one-to-one thing. So consider that. Uh, also, the, the finger measuring thing isn't entirely like reliable. So, all right. So I got some super chats and then we're going to get nerdy with our last story. Uh, Exploding Pretty gives us $5 and says, would the Badgers consider reading some of the women poop article from the New York Times? It could be good for a laugh. I know I did, dude. Yeah, I looked at it when you sent it to me on Twitter. I think it deserves its own little 
thing, so I might do something on it tomorrow. Uh, it's an article from the New York Times entitled Women Poop at Work, Get Over It, It's Time to Smash the Poochriarchy. It sounds like a Babylon B article. I shit you not, but it is real. Uh, maybe I'll do something on that tomorrow. So uh, before I do my, my uh, show later on that day. All right. But we're going to get nerdy and a little bit ragey. I know that Hannah's going to have some choice words for this one. Uh, but this is the last thing. You guys saw this, this story doing the rounds. Mike J., can you tell us what's going on with uh, Monty Cook's website and Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, wait, before we do, I got a thing from Albert Nader real quick. I'll just read it out. Canadian, $10. He says, um, you're just popping in to say, just popping in to say, we already live in a Handmaiden's Tale era, only it's men on the bad end of it. Also, Hannah, did you watch the monologue yet? Okay. I did. I did. I haven't gotten a, a chance to respond to it, but I made some very, very good points in that. And, uh, it definitely merits further discussion. All right, there you go. Okay, so uh, let's talk about D&D and consent in, in tabletop gaming, because that's important. I just want to say that I do not consent to anything in that entire article other than the fact that we are responding to it. Yeah, this one's a bit of a doozy. I mean, it, it's so much so that I... I, I could only scratch the surface in the write-up without making it an entire book, um, because in in the in the, the the PDF that they have for download. By the way, don't download if you're going to download it. Do not download it off of their site, because despite it being free, it makes you put in your billing information. Yeah, they make you sign up. I didn't do it. I did download it, but I got it off of uh, Board Game Geek. Exactly. They just let there you, you download there are, it. There are there so. all are there are alternatives that will let you download this without putting in your fucking personal info. Never give your credit card number anywhere that you don't have to. Never exactly. ever give it just in case. That's always a scam. So, last week, what the hell are we talking about? Last week, Monte Cook Games, creator of role-playing guides, released Consent in Gaming. This rulebook by Sean K. Reynolds and Shauna Germain covers the topic of consent in tabletop gaming, and attempts to give aspiring players and game masters tools and suggestions for navigating the world of pen and paper gaming. The description on the website reads as follows. Quote, Mature or controversial elements can and should be part of many RPGs. But how do you know what topics to include or leave out of your games? How do you include potentially difficult elements while ensuring that nobody's game night is ruined? Consent in Gaming gives you the strategies you need to make sure everyone at the table has a great experience, even when the game goes in a challenging direction. End quote. I know, fucking casuals. Anyway, uh, in theory, the idea of consent in a pen and paper gaming setting sounds like a good idea, and to some extent it is. But consent in gaming takes the idea to an unworkable conclusion. One of the tools provided is a checklist of possible triggers one could encounter in a tabletop gaming session. The idea is that potential players are expected to fill out this and deliver it to a prospective game master, informing them of what they do and do not consent to 
while role-playing. Now, I don't know, did you, do you have the picture up there? Brian? Sounds like sex in California. Uh, you know what? I actually do have the PDF. I could go to the checklist and display. Well, no, no, no. Let me, let me just send you the picture. I think it'll be quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Send me the picture. Yeah, there you go. It's in, it's in chat. All right. Just, just give me a second here. I'm just going to drop it in there. Uh, I'll move, I'll move back to, hold on a second. I'm sorry. I'm going to, no, no I'm going to move back to this screen. Um, so there's the RPG consent it's, checklist. It's, it's a wee bit small. You might have to blow it up a tiny bit, but it, it has some very specific things that they mention. Yeah. It's a little, it's blurry, you, but hold, hold, go ahead. Through, go yeah. ahead. Well, I, I mean, I'll just read off of it. So, I, um, basically it marks, uh, the, the, it asks, you know, the, the, the very basics of the top GM name, player name, or leave blank planned game theme. Uh, if this game were a movie, what would you rate it? So standard, uh, North American film ratings, and then, uh, mark the color that best illustrates your comfort level in the following with the following plot or story elements. So green for enthusiastic consent. Yes. Bring it on. Yellow for okay if veiled or offstage. Might be okay on stage, but requires discussion ahead of time uncertain. Or red for hardline do not include. And these include the following topics. Uh, for horror, you have bugs, blood, demons, eyeballs, gore, harm to animals, harm to children, rats, spiders. For relationships, they have romance, and then it becomes like a subplot, like... Uh, I, I'm guessing what they like the various levels so, of, like a, of how yeah. romantically involved. Like uh, fade to black, as in okay, you can tell me it happened, but don't show me anything. Explicit, sure, bring on all the details, and then uh, between PCs and NPCs, and between PCs, so player characters and non-player characters, and between player characters themselves, and then sex has the same options. Social and cultural issues, and this is where we start going into, hmm, I wonder what mindset the authors have <laughs> yeah, really. territory. Because we, we jump straight into homophobia, racism, real-world religion, sexism, and specific cultural issues. And if that wasn't, you know, sort of uh, left-field enough for a and d game, we, then we get to mental and physical health. And these would include cancer, because, I mean, I know how many tabletop games I've been part of where cancer is a major driving force in the plot. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, seriously, just give a cleric five gold and you're good. But, um, moving on, uh, claustrophobia, freezing to death, gaslighting, which is one, oh man, oh, some of the guys and I had a real good conversation about that. Because isn't that your job as a DM to sort of like obscure things and maybe not tell people the whole truth and, you know, have some sort of element of surprise to things? Could that not be construed as gaslighting? Yep. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. And then uh, genocide, heat stroke, natural disasters, as in earthquakes and forest fires. Level six paralysis. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Paralysis, physical restraint. Uh, here's one that's really out of the blue: a police and police aggression. Again, just, mm, wonder if you're wonder what side I mean, of the fence. It's not just. Uh, I, I hear you. It's not. It's, this can't be limited to just D and D. I think they're talking about all games. No, but that means if you're playing, be talking about other tabletop. Yeah, because if you're playing yeah. any game that has cops in it, then this could be an issue, which kind of covers a lot. That kind of mm -hmm. that's a lot of shit. 
So, but go on. And then uh, pregnancy, miscarriage, and abortion, self-harm, severe weather, i.e. hurricanes, tornadoes, level four sexual spells. assault, <laughs> starvation, terrorism, torture, and thirst. <laughs> thirst. Has anybody um has anybody checked to make sure that the writer of this book is okay? Like, because like this this actually sounds like an outward manifestation of somebody's mental health condition. The writing oh. of this book sounds oh, it, like an outward manifestation of Anna, somebody's mental health condition. You've got no fucking clue, Anna. No, I've, like, I've actually... You, I've, you, I'm, I'm going to be... read the PDF? I, have, I haven't read the PDF, but I have gamed with people like this. Like this person. They don't last... Um, and then, and, and they, they like wreck the entire setting, they wreck the group, and then on, on their way out, they start blaming everybody else for their dysfunction. Oh, we like, this is, this is, part, this is the person that leaves your gaming group and then self harms in real life and then blames the people that, uh, didn't change everything in the setting for them and, and that they, you know, had to take their ball and go home. Oh my god. That that is I I refuse to believe you have not read this PDF cuz you're hitting the nail on the head here. No, I've just I've been I've been gaming since 1986 or 87, something like that when I was in junior high, early high school. And yeah, no, I've I've run into this. It's just that in the old days, uh these people have always existed and I played with them myself. And when they got disruptive, we kicked them out or we just stopped inviting them. And it wasn't like, uh, like I, I was, you know, we're not just we're, we're just not going to sit here and have somebody else ruin our fun. So if you really don't want to do things with us, unless we change our ways, then maybe you shouldn't be doing things with us. That's all. Just you go away. But now this th- this sort of thing has become mainstream. But I know that Mike J's not done with the write up yet, so I, I, I'm not. No. I'm gonna let's go I'm back go to on it. Another tangent. All right, real quick. all right. No, it's okay. Um, but just because just because it's I'm, I'm striking why the iron's hot. Kind of piggybacking off what you said, Brian. And that's the thing when I, I you bump this out to another level, it, it's not just in any one specific hobby. It's it's in everything. This is like the fucking core problem of everything we have is is these type of people who have been coddled and wrapped in in layers and layers and layers of bubble wrap their entire lives now finally being released out into the world and they're going into these these spaces they're going into these hobbies they're going into these fandoms and uh, demanding everybody comply with their feelings and their emotions or else they're going to burn it all down yeah all right. Well, I I got some. But I want I want to say right. stuff, but let's go back to the write up. Let's finish this first. So go ahead. So uh, one of the other things, one of the info boxes on the guide labeled "Important Things About Consent." Okay, good. You got that one up. Uh, <laughs> quote: "You decide what's safe for you." Okay, that's that one's all right. Uh, the default answer is no. Which, again, you got to kind of take in conjunction with the checklist here. So, if I guess the answer is if you're if you're a, if you're a game master and you're thinking of adding something and you don't quite know, just no, just just don't bother, just don't try. Default answer is nobody. 
Uh, it doesn't matter why consent wasn't given. So if someone vetoes something, you don't get to... Uh, well, actually, this piggybacks into the next one. Uh, nobody has to explain why they're not consenting. So not only can they veto anything, but they don't have to explain their, their logic behind it. You know, because this whole thing isn't about conversation. This whole thing isn't about, you know... Um, building a relationship with someone else and, and trying to, to, to kind of figure out what the other person's thinking. You know, just, just shut that shit down. Uh, there may be a reason why they're not consenting. Well, well, yes, there generally is. There's a spectrum of consent for each topic. Okay. Uh, it's not up for debate, even though specifically in the yellow box area says... Uh, can be discussed uh, but requires discussion ahead of time yeah yeah but it's not up for debate motherfucker. so what's the point don't accept that basically what you're doing is you're just like doing a, a long form version of giving them what they want because it's not up for a debate but we're welcome to talk about it sounds like every uh feminist now this video that begins with it's time to have a conversation it's essentially that it's time to have a conversation but ultimately you have to do what i say because otherwise you're a bad person I'm going to point something else out about this. Um, consent only goes one way in this, right? This is only about uh, the the player being able to control what the DM can do to the player, and it is only about the people who are promoting this being able to tell you, the gamer, what you can and can't do in your game. And I guarantee you there is going to be a push to impose this on game settings oh, yeah. all over. Oh, yeah. There's already a push to impose mm -hmm. it at, on uh, on games uh, conventions, like gaming conventions and stuff. There's already a massive the push. Yep. Yeah, this is... yeah. Uh, cosplay is not consent, is child's play compared to this. And you will not be able to go anywhere where there's organized gaming taking place without the consent mafia telling you how you can run your game if you're a DM. You won't be able to DM at Origins. You won't be able to DM at uh, any of the uh, uh, smaller conventions. You won't be able to to uh, do anything public without folks involved with this contacting you and saying, you know, it's a nice gaming convention you got there. It'd be a shame if uh, somebody were to... to uh, tell the public that you're engaging in abuse of women at your convention and get it shut down. You know, you better institute our policies or else. And your consent to have this imposed on your control over your table that you run as a DM is irrelevant. Doesn't matter to them. They don't give a shit. You don't have the right to decide whether you're comfortable having somebody at your table that is so messed up that they need this. And it is something that only somebody who is genuinely messed up needs. Any well-adjusted, mentally healthy person that wants to be involved in a game has the capacity to say, look, this setting is really upsetting. I, I don't want to do this. Um... They have the capacity to say, look, this really upsetting setting is fiction. I don't have to be upset about this. You, know, you have to be in a mental state in which you should not be gaming in the first place before you need something like this. Now, when I was in uh, school, when I was a, a gamer in high school, and when I was in college... 
I went through a literal, this is embarrassing. I went through a literal intervention. My parents and my, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my minister had a conversation with me about my gaming because of the movie Monsters and Mazes with Tom Hanks. Yeah, that, that in movie. Which, all right. So now you got to remember, I had roid rage when I was in high school. I had roid rage throughout my entire adolescence because I was on six different steroids for my asthma. And it messed me up. I, I had a temper. I still have a temper. Um, but I, I had like... It's one of the reasons my favorite... One of my favorite superheroes is the Incredible Hulk is that it was a superhero that struggled... Right, the Hulk is a superhero. He struggles with uh, his his temper in in a in a profound way that is physical and raw. And I went through a struggle with my temper that was maybe not, you know, fictionally physical, but it was quite raw. And I got a diagnosis, and it was an incorrect diagnosis. When I got the steroids out of my system, all of the symptoms that led to that diagnosis went with them, and I had to go back and have uh, be reevaluated. But while I was under that diagnosis, my parents just freaked out that I was going to have the same problem that the guy in Mon Monsters and Mazes had, which was he lost touch with reality entirely. He, he went into this mental break uh, where he was living within the mindset of gaming. And it's, it was fiction. Um, there were some instances where drug addicts and people with severe mental health conditions had breakdowns and it was blamed on Dungeons and Dragons and there was this panic. It wasn't quite as uh, open and flat out, you know, uh, affecting the public as the satanic panic, but there was a D&D &D panic among parents during the late 80s, early 90s, even in, into the mid and late 90s, there were parents that freaked out over this. There's, there's comedy out there making fun of it. Look up the Dead Alewives, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I shoot a magic missile in the darkness. You have all of that going on in the, in the history of gaming. And you have this group that people who have those types of problems into a setting they are not equipped to handle and, and create the pretense of adjusting the setting to their involving themselves in a hobby that is all about taking a temporary break from reality. Nobody like this should be... Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Shit. Well, I'm going to continue because I know this is being recorded. Nobody that is in need of a consent form like this belongs in a setting where they are taking a break from reality. You should get your shit fixed. You should go to therapy. You should deal with your issues before you step into a, a convention, before you step into an organization where, where there's regular gaming, before you sit down at a gaming table and try to be, pretend to be a fantasy character dealing with fantasy creatures and fantasy problems. It's dangerous. So I think anybody that shows up with a consent form from this book, uh, the DM ought to automatically kick them right out. Oh yeah, that's yeah. that's tell that's, them to go home and deal with their shit before yeah. they get into a fantasy setting at all. That's how you know who because you it, don't want in your game. <laughs> well, it's 
It's basically like somebody coming straight from Alcoholics Anonymous, wearing an Alcoholics Anonymous T-shirt into a bar, handing a bartender uh, a, a page that says, I do not consent to being served more than three drinks, and then asking for, you know, whiskey sour. No, you can't have it. Get out. All right, Mike, uh, finish the write-up, because I know we're still we're still not quite at the end of that yet. Yeah, and this sausage is already getting a little bit on the long side. Uh, so yeah, two more bullet points. Uh, and, and they're actually probably the sanest of the two bullet points. Uh, they can always change their mind about what they are or aren't consenting to. I mean, sh- sure. And anyone is allowed to leave an uncomfortable situation at any time, and dear God, that should be the first bullet point, the last bullet point, and every bullet point in between. Uh, another good point that I, that was brought up, I saw someone bring this one up, was th- this sounds more like the ground rules for a BDSM session than it does for a tabletop session. <laughs> it does, it does. And, and the more that you go into depth in this PDF, that's exactly what it sounds like. I was told by people promoting this that they used those types of guidelines from uh, those types of settings different kink uh, groups, not just that particular kink group, but different kink groups as their guidelines. And some well, of their guidelines. The, uh, explain the entire section on aftercare. Which, no, no, again, not not a joke. I'm not making a joke. That is actually in the PDF. There's an entire <sighs> aftercare section. Okay, so everything I said about gaming, um, I, I want to point out, that doesn't apply to kink in the same terms. You're not crazy for wanting to be specific when you're dealing with a situation where communication uh, is is uh, uh, impaired or or you're you're dealing with things that are unusual and not everybody knows what everybody's thinking um, and and it involves actual sex and actual physical vulnerability to other people and stuff like that it's perfectly sane to want to lawyer the shit out of that right but this professional rules lawyering in gaming needs to go and it is a facilitation of bringing people in with mental health issues and personality issues that are are more likely to cause them to end up in exactly the type of situation that was portrayed in monsters and mazes and and it, it's it's just an absolute book length nope for me there is kind of a uh, parallel that I've heard of um, that when we were speaking earlier about, you know, you have all these all these people with, with issues that are sort of being, inserting themselves into these communities and fandoms and trying to turn them upside down uh, because of their own hang-ups. And now that we're, you know, speaking sort of about the BDSM community, uh, I've heard that uh, they, they faced a similar problem after the release of Fifty Shades of Grey that you had all these uh, sexually frustrated, pent-up soccer moms joining these communities and having no fucking clue what any of this is. And basically kind of ruining their their, their little kink community. Yeah. Shanna, Shanna Germain, one of the writers of this book, actually writes, like, she's a writer that does BDSM like lesbian BDSM stuff. So she, well, imagine my that's sort of like where I believe that's where that comes from. The woman, 
I'm sorry, but it's the woman. I looked them both up, and Sean Reynolds is just like a game designer, but Shanna Germain, she's the one that, you know, brought the kink shit into fucking Dungeons and Dragons, which it doesn't belong in. I mean, Jesus Christ, do you know? Run, okay, Sean, okay, run. okay. Just, well, just, just, just a little, uh, Mike J, please just finish the write up. Just so, a real quick statement. This goes back to what I was saying before about men being afraid of women getting hurt. This is an exploitation of that. Yeah. All right, one more sentence, I promise. With a guidebook full of suggestions like this, it seems that consent in gaming's true goal is not to increase the amount of consent in tabletop gaming, but rather to ensure that future tabletop gaming sessions are made impossible. Yeah. So this is fucking cancer and not new. So like we 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 actually did a show uh if you want to like really go back in the wayback machine, you can look up a show that I did when I think we were still doing the uh Badger Pod Gamergate and we did an episode about X cards which was a thing in D&D but it was kind of like in the fringes like it wasn't it was being done by players in the community that needed to be protected from triggering content in a fucking tabletop game that takes place in your imagination and we were talking about x cards years ago i think i had nc clark on um who is my my sister that lives she's not my literal sister but she's a puerto rican girl that lives here in illinois and um i remember back then saying wow this is ridiculous but i knew that it was only going to get worse and so x cards are actually mentioned in this pdf as well as other tools that they uh that they suggest you know if you want to essentially bring consent into your tabletop game it's x cards so X cards is a card with an X on it that when the DM is starting to go into a place that the person finds uncomfortable, you lift the card and show them so that they don't go there to protect your sensibilities. And also bear in mind, so I know that not everyone that's watching this is a tabletop gaming nerd. I know that you guys, you might be into film, you might be into music, you might be into video games, you might not be into any of those things. Maybe the only thing you care about are the legal things, whether that's male suicide, whether that's, um, you know, custody battles and uh, de- depression and workplace, uh, you know, health and divorce courts and all, and all of those things are very important. But culturally... If you're not into tabletop gaming, but you are into something else, and that hasn't somehow been infected, which I don't know what you're into that hasn't been infected, maybe it's fishing or something, be aware that it will get to you as well. So even if you don't give a shit about people who play tabletop games, this is just a symptom of that larger problem that I've been talking about since before Gamergate started, that people thought was just limited to like fucking ethics. It's not that. It's an ideology. It's creeping into everything. This book was on Monty Cook's website. Monty Cook was one of the like lead people that was a, a creative force behind the later editions of Dungeons & Dragons. And he is considered a very influential figure in tabletop gaming as a whole. He is a, whole, a household name. Not quite as big as Gary Gygax, but a household name nonetheless. Okay, This has tremendous implications. Now... Obviously, there are ways you can avoid this. If you are a gamer, don't game with people that use this crap. 
but it's not it's it's the thing is is that this is just going to get worse because remember the way that social justice warriors operate it's never about letting a community do whatever they want it's always top down always top down okay so what is going to happen is that they're going to start bringing this into a top-down model. They've already started doing it in other games. If you look at this, this consent and gaming thing is just a, a, a small uh, aspect of a larger problem. In when X cards was a thing a couple of years ago, it was just something that happened in community. Now the people from that community or that agreed with those things ideologically, they are writing content and calling it at least semi-official. They have it's on Money Cook's website. It's being written in part by a game designer, Sean K. Reynolds. Okay, it's given legitimacy as an idea. The more you do it the more people start to think there's something to this, right? And you also have to consider that a lot of uh, conventions have... You go to conventions to try playing games, and there's a lot of, like, sort of, like, trying to create a broader community of, of gaming so that people might go to a con, and then when they're at a con, they try a game out, or they get involved with a league or something. I know that they do stuff like that. When you go into those things... That's a top-down atmosphere, right? The people who are running it usually work at the company or they're um, volunteering there at the convention to run the games for people and basically be a part of that. Well, if you just mandate to those people, you have to use this these, you know, this consent form or at least in some principle bring it into the game, you are going to ruin it from that point on. Obviously, on your own like scale, like in my house, I run games for my friends. I don't include any of this shit because we're big boys. We can handle it. There's like we 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 just we we're adults and we conduct ourselves as such, right? But um, the the thing is is that this is intended to control the fandom. This is just another tool. Look, Anita Sarkeesian spoke at Gen Con like last summer. Not this summer that passed. I don't think it was this summer. I think it was the summer before. I believe, yeah. She spoke at, at, at Gen Con the summer before last. as And she was given a platform. She was paid to speak there. She talked about the sexism, the homophobia, the, 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 the xenophobia, whatever, in gaming at the convention. And she was taken seriously. Did a lot of people go see it? I don't know. I Probably not. But the point is, it doesn't matter how popular it becomes within the community. What matters is it comes from the top down. So you have to, this is how they work in everything. So like, what's the point in video games? We'll go to video games for a second. What's the, what does it matter if most people who play video games are against political correctness? If most of the people that are making video games are behaving in a way that they are behaving as though political correctness is absolutely crucial to their content. When all the content is politically correct, it doesn't matter if you're not. So you, you have to like consider that this is another way in which they are trying to destroy people's ability to have fun by appealing to the weakest among us. People who, by all accounts, as to what Hannah said, probably shouldn't be gaming. They should probably be dealing with their shit. And also, the more you pander to those people, the less likely they are to be able to get over their shit. Like, can you imagine, like, play, Blood was on the list. Can you imagine, how are you going to play any RPG that has conflict, like, combat in it, and be averse to Blood? And have, like, a red line. No, no, no Blood. Okay, so I guess everybody fights with foam weapons and 
you know, people just sort of give up and that nobody dies, right? Like, how can you possibly do anything with that? You can't. So what is the point of it? It's to control people. That's all it's for. So is there like a Care Bears RPG that those people could play? Uh, but they they shouldn't like, be playing. Do they still any, exist? Look, if they can't trust their own, <laughs> they can't trust their own imagination. That's what's happening. Yeah. They can't trust their own imagination to be able to sit down and allow themselves to escape into a, a fictional fucking world, right? Of whatever it is, whether you're playing a science fiction, fantasy, horror, whatever. If like who the hell goes to a to a, a sits to sit down and play some Call of Cthulhu and says, "Okay, I'm here to play this Call of Cthulhu game, but here's what I don't want. I don't want any horror. I don't want bugs. I don't want scary things. Um, and I don't want any blood. And I don't want any psychological stuff." But I want to play this game. How? You can't. For the love of God, no gaslighting. Get out. Yeah, yeah please. <laughs> Definitely please no, not in Call of Cthulhu. No, Why would you do please that? Please <laughs> no gaslighting in my H.P. Lovecraft game. That's impossible. Oh, God. You cannot satisfy that. So, no. Just no to those people. No. Play Parcheesi. Play Sorry. Play, uh, you know, Ms. Monopoly. Whatever. Play something else, though. Just go, you know, go do something I else. When I was in college, I gamed with a guy who was schizophrenic, who handled the game better than these people. Now, granted, he didn't handle life when his parents took him off of his medication because they were opposed to medication. Uh, they had a religious thing. Um, and but, but he stopped gaming when that happened because he started having problems outside of gaming with reality. Not related to gaming with other things, but it scared him and he didn't want to put himself in that situation he handled his shit better than these people did than these people that write write shit like this okay and and if that guy is with it enough he had a really rough time and if he's with it enough to be able to deal with fantasy is over here reality is over here nary the twain shall meet and if I start having problems perceiving and uh, dealing with reality, then I shouldn't get involved with fantasy. If he was able to deal with that, these guys have no excuse. None at all. That's the first thing. The second thing was where you were talking about this getting into other things. During that time, early 90s, um, I was dating a guy who had gotten out of the army, just gotten out of the army. He was telling me that while he was at uh, boot camp, there was an equivalent of that X card to be used by by uh, soldiers who were of any kind of protect, protected group in the progressive stack if they were being yelled at for something by their drill sergeant and the drill sergeant said something offensive like you've seen all those movies where the drill sergeant is a hard ass and says mean things to everybody, yells at the top of his lungs, gets an inch off of everybody's face because he's trying to prepare them to be able to handle the worst possible situations imaginable and still maintain enough composure to actually come up with a solution to the problem they're facing or uh, deal with a life-threatening condition that they, they need to uh, mitigate or, or escape from or whatever. Shoot somebody, uh, maybe even somebody that's younger than they are, uh, maybe somebody right out of high school. Uh, so, yeah, they, they had these cards that they could hand the drill sergeant and he had to shut up. He couldn't say anything to him that was offensive. 
And, uh, you know, my my then boyfriend was basically saying he'd seen guys use these cards right in the middle of a, a tirade. They'd hand this card to the drill sergeant and the drill sergeant would just sit there and turn purple. Couldn't do anything. Couldn't say anything. What do you think is the result of that when they actually get into combat and they run up against situations that are emotionally uh, overwhelming for them and they haven't faced being emotionally overwhelmed and dealing with it back in the States where nobody is shooting at them. But that was a thing. I don't know if it still is. I don't know if anybody in the military that's listening can can tell us if that's still going on or if that, like, basically ended because of the problems it may have created. But that that was a thing. That actually was a thing. So the idea of X-Cards, you know, not being expanded to the rest of the world already happened. It already happened. It's too late to, to uh, oh, that'll never happen, because it already happened. In the military, of all places, like, there should be no snowflakes in the military. Snowflakes get killed. Yeah, really. Uh, you know, so uh, where else? Where else would it be would be immune to it if the military was not? I don't think I don't think it is. I think that it is a problem, and I think that... Uh, it, it's in part it comes from this kind of uh, uh, I, I, I don't for lack of a better term globalization of gaming because when I was young and I played D&D uh, or any game any tabletop game I only played it with people that I knew and even today I'm very very selective on who I decide to game with because not because I don't like people but because I, I I'm concerned about compatibility. So I have to like know, would this person, would these people play well together? Would they play well in the kind of game I have in mind? Would we be able to make like for, would this make for a fun campaign if I ran it? And so I had to be very selective, even with people that I know already. But now uh, with the internet and stuff, a lot of people try to meet and game together right away. And the downside of that is that it's hard to find people that you click with, that you, you're on the same page with. Again, you know that there are people that are going to be good players and there are people who are going to be bad players that are good people. There are going to be people who are good DMs and bad DMs, people who are, you know, who treat the players like opponents and they want to kill them or, or whatever it is. Right. You know what I'm talking about. People that you want to game with and people that you don't. And... When you, because we do things this way now, you have to like find a better way to sort of filter out the bad. And so you only like talk to the ones that you want to game with. Um, but the, and I suppose that this is maybe a tool that people could use to mitigate that. But I think it's going about it the wrong way because what it's doing is instead of people uh, being discriminate, dis- Essentially, instead of creating an environment where people are free to discriminate against players and, uh, you know, referees slash uh, game masters that are not a good fit for them, it forces them. It's basically telling them that they should instead adapt themselves around the weakest people that happen to be sitting at the table at the time. And um, it, it, that's that's exactly it. Yeah. Man. Like I I went into this. I looked at the material that was that was present here and I thought well you know on the face of it this doesn't seem like such a bad thing this could possibly be a good idea I guess from what very little I know about this but the more you dig into this like seriously if this sounds like a remotely good idea to anybody out there 
read the PDF, and if you have an ounce of common sense within you, it will seem like the just the worst idea, just it's the terrible. worst thing you could do as a tabletop gamer. Is it would be to incorporate this into yeah? Your the only thing you could find it useful for is to find out who you don't want to game with. So basically, you 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 if you're doing it online, right? And you send it the 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 you send the paper out to all the people that are interested in being in your in your game, whatever it is, and you say check off the stuff that you're not okay with. And everybody who checks off anything that says no, then you just oh, I'm sorry, you're not going to be a good fit because I, you got like to me, you got to be okay with everything. Or nothing. I mean, if, if something's just not to your taste, I guess that can be discussed. But in general, um, you... Well, that that's the thing. Usually these things are discussed. You have what's called a session zero, where you begin anything and you sit there and be like, okay, what do you guys want out of this thing? What are you guys expecting? Here's what I'm proposing as the, you know, as the game master, if, if you're the game master. And, and you go from there. You don't need a chart to fill this out. You don't need a 12-page PDF to tell you how to go about this. This is what we've been doing literally since the inception yeah, of tabletop gaming that's itself. That's exactly right. That's what I'm saying. I've been doing it with my own friends. When I say this is what I want to run and this is how I want to do it. And, you know, and I know who is generally going to be into that and who's not. And that's the end of it. I don't need a fucking guy to tell me that. That's another thing that I don't. This is so, like, paternalistic. It's it's kind of disgusting and then the fact that it was written by people who were writing bdsm guides is also paternalistic and disgusting to me because we're talking about tabletop gaming we're not talking about dungeon fucking foot play with machines we're not talking about that and that like keep that to yourselves please do, do that with the people that you're you're in. like what the fuck these things are not the it, same <laughs> It's almost like this this whole guide, like if you didn't know that about the, the, the weird BDFs and the history of the author, you'd almost think this person was like very, and I'm not using this in the meme sense at all, very autistic. Uh, yeah. Like this is, Which like, has this nothing is all to from coming from the point where it's like <laughs> someone who can't read anyone else's emotions, someone who can't read others' body language, the, the, the tone of somebody's voice, and they need quite literally everything spelled out for them. Yeah. Again, I'm not trying to be de 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 derisive or derogatory here, but that that's that was where I was almost coming from. Like, is this just someone's way of trying to cope with that? Yeah, and if somebody spurred out that much about, like, consent in a game, I don't want to play with them anyway. Even if they were okay with everything, I don't want that. I'm sorry, I don't want, I don't want somebody getting all, like, nitpicky and authoritative and fucking weird. I don't need that. I already have problems with fucking munchkins and fucking rules lawyers and fucking, you know, like, cowards. And I have too many other problems. I don't need other people coming over here saying, can we please not have any blood in this? Like, no, get out. <laughs> I want people that are open to things. Jesus. All right. Anyway, um... So that's it. I mean, this is uh, this is cancer. Um, I, I don't know like what else to say except that uh, this is the the culture is going in this direction. So and that's the real scary part. It's it's now it's it's basically gone from a fringe thing to an uh, authoritative thing to a paternalistic thing, which is where it's at now. And uh, just watch the clock. It's going to get authoritarian. It's going to get authoritarian in any in the capacity in which it can, which fortunately for people who do tabletop gaming, um, you know, you always have 
your privacy, the privacy of your own home with which you can do your own thing. So, um, uh, don't say always because you look yeah, at you it. Never know. Uh, there's already ways in which snowflakes are trying to invade the privacy of your own home. Uh, you know, you, they're using the domestic violence thing. They're using, uh, actually, there are people trying to get it so that if if parents smoke, it's considered child abuse. Uh, that you don't you don't smoke inside your house, um, and 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 if your kids see you smoking, that's bad. You know, so the state should get involved. You know, that kind of thing. So don't don't think they won't come into your house to enforce gaming rules, especially like if this shit gets manipulated to the point where it's difficult to get access for new gamers at least to get access to materials that don't require you to have uh, an internet connection to a system that controls how you use the game yeah uh people were asking what i meant by munchkin i actually use the word min maxer that's the one i'm used to but i don't know if people know that one Munchkins, min maxers, power gamers, whatever you want to call it. People who basically like I was thinking of the card game. They they which is oh, kinda no. like that. Yeah, well that's the that's why they called it that's why they called it that. Um but uh yeah, they're just people who uh who see the game as a obstacle to break or or beat and they usually make things unfun for everyone because all they ever do those is are, whatever the most those, the, the, the most effective least risky approach to doing to a, a, a you know approaching any obstacle which usually makes things less fun for the people who want to take risks um and it makes it less fun for me because i have a hard time challenging them because they have a way to break every encounter whereas the other players are hoping to get their feet wet and so when I try to match the munchkin, it r- puts the other people at risk because, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's a pain in the ass. You have to get it's really not, creative with yeah, munchkins. You can, like, I, you had can a, I had a guy doing that. You, there are ways and, and, around it, but it's a pain in the ass, yeah. is what I'm saying. I, I put, him through, I put the, the team through a scenario that, that mingled um, um, a, 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 God, I can't think of the name of the game. It's a post-apocalyptic uh, uh, nuclear apocalypse fallout? game no it's way fallout? it's before fallout Gerps. older Gerps. no no don't, don't start naming things because you're gonna it's off brand i almost had it um pandemonium shit. anyway no oh, okay go ahead um, then. go ahead never mind but anyway uh that th- it had uh your characters were all mutants and uh i mixed that with D because they both had the similar um, like your dice rolls were going to be the same and everything. Your your stats were the same. The monsters had the same kind of stats and everything. And this guy was basically just being a dick. Um, and he, he was min-maxing, but he was also uh, doing dumb things in game. So, for instance, every time he killed something, he ate parts of it. So I put him up against a radioactive frog and I made him roll on the mutation chart and made him use the body part chart to determine what body parts were effective so that he would eventually in game end up with one gamma world there you go wikipedia snippet got it um <laughs> there's not really a prize but you're awesome uh but in any case uh he was eventually going to have one giant leg and one really small leg and uh he also he also <laughs> rolled this was not my fault um i i hadn't decided exactly how i was going to mutate his genitalia but 
yeah. Uh, I, I was, uh, and then unfortunately that was uh, during a time where I never got to finish um, the game because I ended up having to move. But that's that's how you handle that. You become more annoying than than the gamer. The big problem is that it can take up quite a bit of your time and energy trying to become more more uh, annoying than the gamer. But it does work. The other term I've heard for those people is uh, role players as opposed to role Yeah, players, people who roll dice. As in R-O-L-L. Yeah. yeah, you're not here to play a role, you're here to roll dice. Yeah, murder hobos. Um... But anyway, we're we're we've we're going for two hours. We should wrap it up. Um, I think Dr. Randomer Cam has been. Are you there? He's probably asleep. He was. He was a little. Yeah. No. I'm here. Just not much to say. Okay. I'm just checking. I want to make sure you're okay. All right. So um, we're anyway. We're gonna wrap this up. I think we should just wrap this up because we've gone for two hours. We're going to go into the after show and look at this article by Julie Bindle. Rape is becoming decriminalized. It is a shocking betrayal of vulnerable women. Um, We will find out what the fuck she's talking about. But let us know what you guys think about these stories in the uh, comment section. I would appreciate that. Also, please give this video a like. I should probably start saying that at the beginning of the streams. Maybe include it in the intro or something, because I always forget. But give this video a like if you haven't already. I hope that you have. Uh, Subscribe to the channel if you're not already subscribed. And hit the bell for notifications, despite how perhaps not very useful it might be. I'm not really sure, but do it for me if you could. And uh, leave us a comment and let us know what you guys think about these stories. Uh, I try to read your comments for every video that I I, uh, upload, so... I look forward to seeing what you guys have to say. With that said, thanks so much for coming on this episode of HBR News. Thank you, Hannah, Mike, and Dr. Radamercam for coming on with me. And I'll talk to you guys in the next one. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.